Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So imagine uh, for just a second that we were able to travel back in time magically to, let's say, the 1950s, and we entered the average American home in that decade. And uh, also, we were able to magically bring with us all of the technology that we have from today. Uh, We we go in, we begin to observe all the things that they would do in day-to-day life in the 1950s, and the conversation may go something like this. They, they may say, oh, well, you know, now we've got guests. So, uh, you know, I need to run to the market to pick up groceries so that we can have a meal tonight. And we would say, oh no, there's actually, there's an app for that. And they would be like, what's an app? And so we'd have to explain what an app is and oh, it's on your cell phone. And we, they'd say, what's a cell phone? We'd explain what a cell phone is. And, you know, it runs on the internet. Well, what's the internet? And we have to explain what the internet is. But once we got all that out of the way, we'd say, hey, all you gotta do is hit a button and they'll deliver your groceries right to your door. And they say, oh, wow, that's gonna save me so much time. I, I can go ahead and jump into meal prep. I can bake the bread and get the other stuff going, you know, for our meal tonight. And you'd say, oh, well, actually, uh, you don't need to do that either. There, there's, there's an app for that as well. You can just hit a button and they'll deliver a, a fully cooked meal to your door ready to consume. It'll just come right to your door. And, and they'd say, oh, well, great, that's, that's good because I, I, I need some time. I need to get to the bank and deposit some checks and draw some money out. And as they're describing this, you'd stop them again. You'd say, well, actually, you don't have to do that either. You can just press a button on your phone. There's an app for that. And you'd be able to do all your banking right here, uh, you know, from the, the comfort of your own couch. And, and they'd say, well, okay, great. Well, then with the free time, we, we'll, we'll go to the doctor because, you know, he, my husband's been trying to get to the doctor and he's got a hurt back. And so, you know, it takes a while to get over there and wait in line and do this whole thing. And you'd say, no, actually, no, you'd You don't have to do that either. There's an app for that. You can have a virtual telehealth visit through your phone and not even leave your house. And again, they're just starting to go, wait a second, what's going on here? And, and, you know, what are we gonna do with all this time? And it's like, well, you know, great. I I need to hand wash some clothes and hang them out on the line outside. And we'd say, no, there's actually machines. We've brought them with us from the year 2023. There are machines that'll wash your clothes and dry them. And there's also machines that will wash your dirty dishes and you don't have to worry about that. And, you know, they're sitting there trying to con- contemplate all this. And they're like, honey, it's getting a little hot in here. I think we need to open the windows and get the temperature dropped a little bit. And we're like, no, actually, you can control that on your own. We, there's central heating and air conditioning that will control. You tell, you tell it what temperature you want it to be in the house and it'll do it. And in fact, in fact, you don't even have to get up off the couch. All you have to do is say, Alexa. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it'll just start getting cooler in your home. And then they say, well, that's great because I need it to be a little bit cooler so I can vacuum the house. And you say, oh no, you don't need to vacuum. There's this thing called a Roomba and it's a robot and it will vacuum your house for you. And they're like, wow, this is such great news. Let's put some music on. And they walk over to the record player and they're like, sorry, this is a little fidgety over here. It's gonna take me a few minutes to work on this. I go, no, no, no. All you gotta do is say Alexa. And millions of songs will just start playing. Whichever song you want, you pick one. Millions of them are available. And they're just sitting there on the couch. Again, you can just see 
They're processing all of this that we've just told them about the future. And eventually they, they would respond with something along the lines of, wow, you must have so much more time. I mean, you've just, you've just taken away 80% of what we do week to week with all this technology that you just showed us. So, so you guys must have so much time. You must be so relaxed, so stress-free. You must be easily getting done what needs to be done in a day, even with time left over. And you can see where I'm heading. You can imagine, you can imagine their shock when we say, nope. Actually, we, we don't have more time. We have less time or maybe even no time. We're busier than we've ever been because all of us, if you, if you were to go to the year 2023 and ask people how they're doing, they would say that they are busy, busier than we've ever been. And they're sitting there trying to do the math in their mind. Like, wait a second, you're busy? Busy with what? That would be the question they would ask us. Again, the bulk of our life is spent, for them, the bulk of their life would have been spent doing all the things that we just took away. And so their expectation would be, wow, you've got to be so relaxed, so stress-free, just go with the flow. You're, you're good to go, right? And like, no, no, we're busy. We're out of time. They'd be busy with what? And that is a great question. And that's the question that we're going to dive into this week in advice for the hurried life. To recap last week, if you weren't with us, um, there's a difference between busy and hurry. Uh, busy is the activity. That's the tasks that we have to get done. Uh, busy is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing when you fill it with things that matter, when you're busy with things that you've chosen, things that are important to you. But hurry can often creep into our lives through our busyness. It can be a doorway to where hurry enters our life. And when hurry comes in, it typically takes over. Busy, busy is inevitable. All of us are busy regardless of our season of life. Hurry is optional. And we said last week, our definition was that hurry is an unhealthy preoccupation with a future time, place, or outcome. We desire another moment more than the moment we're currently in. We desire and we try to get to another place, a physical location. This is when we're hurrying along, when we're running along, we're trotting or we're speeding in our car. We're trying to get to a place quicker than possible or... We can hurry around outcomes too. There can be circumstances or outcomes that we desire in our lives and we want them to happen sooner than possible. And hurry is that inner turmoil that we feel when we're trying to make something happen sooner than possible or trying to get somewhere sooner than possible. And hurry is not your friend. It is not my friend. It is not a co-pilot and it's not a companion in life. When hurry enters the equation, it takes over and it kicks us out of the driver's seat and it begins to direct our life. And so we uh, looked at this quote from the late theologian, Dallas Willard, a young pastor called him and was really busy in life and had young kids and was leading a big church. And he said, what must I do to experience the life that God wants me to experience? What must I do to get it all done and still follow Jesus? What must I do to grow spiritually? And Dallas responded to him and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is not your friend. And hurry, he went on to say, is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. So you've got to remove it from your life. And the pastor said, well, what else should I do? That's great. I got that one. What else? And he said, there is nothing else. 
There is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And the reason why ruthlessly is in there is because hurry doesn't go away easily. You know, we, we don't just tell hurry to go away and then we're fine. It's like, it's like we resist it once, we fight it back, we push it back. And then a couple hours later or maybe a day later, hurry's knocking at the door again. So in this series, we're trying to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. I gave you advice number one last week to slow down and uh, gave you a few practical things to do at the end of the message uh, to choose the longest line. Again, I know some of these things were crazy, right? But I I encourage you to choose the longest line. And I got a text after last week and uh, encouraging, you know, hey, it's a great job today, blah, blah, blah. And then the end of the text says this, thanks to your words, I'm going to slow down this week. Drive the speed limits, say you go ahead, and treasure interruptions, which in my life have been some of God's greatest blessings. But I am not going to get in the long line. <laughs> and I texted him back. I said, hey, three out of four ain't bad, you know? Three out of four ain't bad. Choose the longest life. Drive the speed limit. When I left here last Sunday, um, uh, the Wimbledon final was still going on. I don't know if there's any tennis fans in the house, but it was an intense match. And I had it um, on my phone. I was listening to it. I was not watching it as I drove. I was listening to it as I drove. Got on 400. I was so fired up. I was like almost immediately speeding. And I thought to myself, uh-oh, somebody's gonna bust me and call me out right after the sermon. And so I get home and, and, and um, Kelly and I had to take several of our kiddos up to a camp in North Georgia Sunday afternoon. And she says, hey, um, we're packing up the car, getting ready to go. And she says, hey, uh, about that whole drive the speed limit thing. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, uh, if, if we drive the speed limit, we're not gonna get the kids to camp on time. And I was like, why don't you drive? <laughs> and she did. And we got there in plenty of time. (laughs) So drive the speed limit. Again, it's crazy when you don't have to do it all the time, right? Don't have to do it all the time. But you use this This as a weapon. This This is a tool to fight against hurry. Say you go ahead, make that part of your daily vocabulary. You go ahead, you go ahead, you go ahead. And then lastly, welcome interruptions. Interruptions are inevitable in our lives. And when they come, Take a deep breath, welcome them. I had to welcome an interruption on Friday afternoon because I drove through downtown Atlanta at 3.30 p.m. Yeah, exactly, I know. I'm a lifelong Atlantan. I should have known better, I did not. And that was a big interruption from this past weekend. So I got a chance to practice this right here. So um, did you try these this week? Anybody try them? Not one hand goes up. No, I get it. No, I get it. Nobody wants to like admit that they did it. But no, you're, you're at least hopefully thinking about it. My guess is if you tried these, you still got it all done. Like you're, you're here today and you're fully dressed and in, you're in your, white, your right mind. You still got it all done. And again, the, uh, the point is not trying to remove all the activities from our life. The point is trying to train our minds and our souls to not be hurried. And when we do these things, it actually gives us control back. Hurry can't be in control when we're doing these things right here. And this may take some time. You may have tried it last week and you're like, dude, Adam's crazy. You may have been having an argument in your mind with me as you waited in the long line for just a few seconds and then immediately jumped over into self-checkout so you could you know, get on with your day. But here, here's what I would encourage you with. You gotta keep trying this. You gotta keep trying it. You gotta keep trying it. It may take some time. 
But if you try for several weeks and you never get to a place where you can settle in in one of these situations, that should tell you something. That should alert you that hurry has moved in and that it has set up shop and it's kicked you out of the driver's seat of your life. You gotta slow down. That's advice number one for the hurried life. Today, we're gonna look at the second piece of advice. And uh, in order to understand where we're headed today, I need to introduce to you a word in the English language that's a little bit hard to understand. It's a bit of a strange word. It's a bit of a unfamiliar word. Um, We don't really hear it that often and we don't use it that often, but here's the word that we need to look at today. Now that's pronounced no, okay? Everybody say no. No. Yes, advice uh, number two for your hurried life is to say no, okay? Now, uh, if you may be wondering, okay, Adam, why why do you feel the need to tell us uh, to, to say no? It's because if you observe your life or if you observe the lives of those around you, we are yes machines, aren't we? I mean, we have opportunities, invitations, commitments that are constantly coming towards us. And we just say yes again and again and again. And we take on more and more and more. Actually more is possible these days than ever before in terms of things that can fill up our calendar. It's different than the 1950s, right? The family that we magically visited a few minutes ago. And the world has shifted in a way as well. Uh, There was a research study done by University College in London and uh, this research, they, they looked at data sets from the 1960s, the 1980s, and the 2000s. And what they saw was a dramatic shift in the data sets from the 60s all the way to the 2000s. In the 1960s, um, the amount of leisure time in someone's life was the indication of their social status and whether or not they had made it in life. The more leisure time, the more that person was considered to, wow, you have been successful in life. In the 1980s, that data begins to shift a little bit. And then when you get into the 21st century, this is 2000s up until today, the the data is completely reversed. In fact, here's the, the summary statement from the entire research project. It says that work, not leisure, is now the signifier of dominant social status. It used to be that time off in your backyard with your kids was like, hey, you're doing great in life. You don't have to work another job in the evenings or another job in the mornings. But uh, that, that was like, hey, you, you've made it. Nowadays, it's the opposite. The more work you have and the more uh, plates you have spinning in the air, that's what makes you look important. That's the marker of success in life. You can even think about it if, if you're on vacation and you're relaxing on the beach In the 60s, you used to relax on the beach and it was like, hey, this is it. There was really nothing else to do. No other distractions. You're just with your family. There's no phones out there, anything else. Nowadays, what do we do? We sit for about 37 seconds and then we reach for our phone and we start, even if we're not doing work for our paid job, we'll do something to be productive. We will text, we'll email, we'll check social media. So culture has fueled our desire to say yes more and more. And with so much bidding for our time, if we're not careful, we will fill up every nook and cranny of our lives with something else to do. Think about this. I did this exercise a couple of years ago with a small group, but imagine that uh, tomorrow you woke up and instead of it being Monday, it was an eighth day of the week. An eighth day of the week, which means that you're guaranteed to have nothing scheduled, 
All your appointments, work, everything else is actually a day out. That's gonna be Monday. That's two days from now. Tomorrow is a free day. And imagine that all of a sudden we got that eighth day a week every single week. When, when I did this with our small group, um, you could see as people began to, to ponder that, how does that make you feel? What would you do with that time? You could see the lightness come on their face. You could see the burden kind of be lifted off their shoulders of the rat race and of all the things that we're trying to do and all the things that you know, we've got going on in our weeks. But as we talked, what, what, what became apparent, and this is the bad news, is that unless we change something drastically about our life, unless we changed our behavior, we would fill up that eighth day in a matter of weeks or maybe months. And it would end up looking like all the other days as well. It would be filled with more and more things to do. And the relief and the the breath that we could take thinking about an eighth day right now would be all but gone in just a matter of weeks or months. It's because we're yes machines. We just say yes over and over and over again. And some of those things are good. I mean, certainly we don't wanna never say yes. I mean, we gotta live life. There's there's things to do. There's things we wanna make progress in. There's people that we wanna help. But there's also a dark side to our yeses. And, And especially when we're already stretched to the limit, when we already feel busy, or feel busier than we've ever been, when we already feel um, overloaded or overcommitted and and that we don't have any margin or capacity left in our lives. When we say yes in those moments, oftentimes we are making a regrettable yes. And there's a few things that will lead us to do this. There's um, certainly plenty more than I'll put up here, but these are, I think, the most common things that lead us to a regrettable yes. We, We try to please people. We're afraid of disappointing them. We're afraid of upsetting them. We're afraid of rocking the boat. And so we just say yes, even though we know we don't have the time, we don't have the space. We know we don't really wanna do that thing, but you know, we know how they respond anytime we say no. And rather than deal with all the chaos of what they do when we say no, we'll just say yes in order to not rock the boat. That's a regrettable yes. And other people's perceptions of us or what's driving us to say yes in that moment. We get overly concerned with our reputation. Another one, we validate ourselves. We say yes to feel significant. We feel important when the invitation comes across our desk and we're thinking, you know what, I wanna do that. And an author several years ago talked about how we're all trying to find ways to justify our existence. And oftentimes that inner drive that we don't even know is there is the thing that's fueling us to say yes and yes and yes, because it's scratching an itch for us. It's making us feel important. It's making us feel valuable. The problem is one more yes will never do it. It's a never ending pursuit. That pursuit actually becomes a hamster wheel of yeses that just keeps going on and on and on. And then thirdly, FOMO. You know what this is? If you don't know what it is, it stands for fear of missing out. And uh, there's a lot of FOMO in our community, okay? There's a lot to be FOMO'd about. Um, I was gonna say there's a lot of FOMO in FOCO. Um, Cause you know, there is, there's, there's plenty of things out there and, and we can see all that's going on in life and, and, and we just, we don't wanna miss out on it. We wanna experience it all. But here's the thing. 
I got some hard news, some, some news that you already are aware of. You are missing out. I am missing out. We always will. We have limited time and limited resources and limited capacity. And that means we definitely, definitely, definitely will miss out on the vast majority of what this world has to offer. Social media doesn't help us in this, does it? Right? It gives us a front row seat to what everybody else is doing all at one time. And it like tricks our mind into thinking, oh yeah, this, if I just, if I just figure out life and work things out really well, I'll be able to experience all this. But we can't. We can't. So we end up with FOMO. And that can oftentimes drive us to say yes. And there's, again, many other reasons that lead us to a regrettable yes. But anytime we do that, anytime we get in that moment where we know we probably shouldn't say yes, we know we don't have the space for a yes, we're essentially doing this right here. It's a cruel acceptance to a casual invitation. I heard this quote while I was preparing and I was like, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. When, when our plate is too full, when we're stretched thin, when we're at or over capacity, even an, a casual invitation, a, an innocent invitation comes across our desk and we think to ourselves, well, it's, that's no big deal. It's like, hey, just, you know, can we just get coffee? Hey, can, we're just hanging out this weekend. Do you wanna come join us? Hey, I need some help with this project. Do you think you could help us with this? And it seems like a casual invitation. So we end up saying yes. And when we say yes, it's actually a cruel acceptance because of what it does to us when we're already maxed out and we're already stretched in in life. We actually are our own worst enemy in that moment. Because when we make a regrettable yes, when we have a cruel acceptance to a casual invitation, we are opening the door wide for hurry to enter our lives. And once it gets in, it is really, really hard to stop it. But it's up to us to stop it. It's up to us to say no. For me, um, in 2015, uh, this really came front and center for me. It was a season of life that was very, very full, um, very busy. Uh, Kelly and I had been married about eight years. We had three young kids at the time. We were both working full-time jobs. I was doing grad school and, and trying to do it pretty fast so we could get it done. And behind me, I was, I was taking multiple classes at a time. And, um, and yet still, I was saying yes to different invitations and different opportunities, mostly because I didn't want to miss out. But, but also there was probably some pleasing people in there as well. There was probably some validating myself as well. And, and uh, it was a very cruel acceptance to a lot of those invitations. I began to experience the, the downside and the dark side to saying yes. And so at the time I was working with a, a life coach, executive coach, and I was kind of explaining all of this to him. And he ended up diagnosing me with a very weak no muscle. <laughs> True story. That's, that's, that's what words he used. And so we, we began to kind of dive into this together in process. And, and in those days, I discovered a huge insight. And it has changed my life in regards to the yeses and the noes in life. And um, th this is a, a principle or an insight that's been written about in a lot of different ways, but it actually was in front of me all along every time I read the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter one, he, the gospel writer Mark actually documents Jesus modeling this principle for us. 
here's what was going on. Jesus was in Capernaum, um, his hometown during his ministry. And he had been uh, teaching and doing some miraculous things all afternoon, late into the evening. They, they were probably even the early hours of the morning. He's, he's healing people and helping people and teaching. And, and eventually he goes to sleep. And if ever there was a morning to sleep in and get a cup of coffee and you know, read the Jerusalem Times and take a nice, easy stroll on the Sea of Galilee, like it was this morning, but that's not what Jesus did. Mark documents it this way. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, don't know how Jesus woke up, but he did before it was dark, no alarm clocks back then. Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus got up to be alone with his father. He needed it and we need it as well. So he's off somewhere outside of town, probably up in the mountains that surround the town of Capernaum. And meanwhile, the disciples um, are sleeping in. They're taking it easy that morning, you know. Um, They've been serving and helping, you know, alongside Jesus. And eventually they wake up and they start looking for Jesus. And they start around the town and eventually make their way out of town because they realize Jesus is not there and eventually find him. Here's what Mark says. He says that Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And the reason why they know everyone's looking for you is because they went door to door in Capernaum looking for Jesus. And every time they said, hey, have you seen Jesus? The people probably responded, no, I haven't. But when you find him, will you send him here? Because of everything that Jesus had done the day before. Or when you find him, tell us so that we can come there. We wanna be with Jesus again. So they tell him, Jesus, everyone in Capernaum is looking for you. And this is more than just a statement. It's actually a request. Simon and and the disciples are saying, hey, everyone in Capernaum is looking for you. Uh, uh, Case in point, they, they want you to come back to Capernaum and do all the things that you were doing yesterday and last night. It's a request. Jesus, come back and continue your work. And it was a good work that Jesus was doing. So we might expect him to say, yeah, you're right. Let's, let's do it. Let's do this. But instead, Jesus says, no. This is how it's worded. Jesus said, let us go on to the next towns. The next towns, not Capernaum. He was essentially saying no to Capernaum. And to us, we can read over this. It seems really, really innocent. But for the folks in Capernaum, in that moment, they would have been offended. They would have been hurt. They would have been disappointed. And if Jesus was living to please people, if he was living to try to make sure that Capernaum is, is okay with him and that his rep- reputation's okay in Capernaum. If he was living to not rock the boat in Capernaum, he would not have said no. But instead he, he does. He's empowered to say no by what he says next. And it's in this next line that our insight, our principle lies. He says, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I have come. Jesus said no, because he knew what he had already said yes to. He knew his mission, his purpose. He knew his why in life. And that freed him from the tyranny of wanting to please other people or validate himself or or just taking the, the easy road and making that regrettable yes to go back down. Capernaum. He knew his why. He knew his mission. He knew his purpose. What he had already said yes to. For, for me in, in 2015, as I was working with his coach over the course of several weeks, he, 
he began to point out all the things that I had already said yes to. I was a follower of Jesus and I was married to Kelly and I was a father to three boys at the time, soon to be four boys. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to be involved in the church, not just with my job, but I actually wanted to serve. I wanted to lead groups. And, and then I had the career that I was trying to build as well and work in a full-time job and trying to get a grad degree. And I began to see all the time that those yeses already took up. My own personal life, my, my relationship with Jesus, the quiet time that I needed to hear from him, the time to exercise, to, to read, or to listen to things that develop my mind. My marriage, I, I didn't want an average marriage. I wanted a great marriage. So I knew that there was gonna be a lot of date nights and dialogue time with my wife. I knew I wanted to be there with my kids for those moments when, you, you know, you, you never know when that moment's gonna hit when you've got that opportunity to, to listen or to have a conversation or to speak life into your kids. And so I knew that was gonna require quality time. Serving the church required time. I, I loved leading small groups and, and leading just marriage groups and premarital mentoring. And so I, I'd said yes to those things and those all took time to prepare and to lead, to follow up afterwards. And then for my career, I was working a full-time job and then also spending hours upon hours every week trying to wrap up my grad school. And when I began to look at those yeses and the time that they all required, I began to realize that there is more purpose in these than a thousand other invitations could ever offer me. There's also more joy, more fun, more fulfillment in those things. And when I discovered that, I was empowered to begin to say no. I actually started handing out no's like Oprah hands out gifts on her shows. I was like, you get a no, and you get a no, and you get a no. I I still occasionally said yes, obviously, but I I was much less likely to say yes because of these reasons. When I looked at all all that I'd said yes to already in life, I was like, you know, people's opinions of me, that people may say what they will, but I, I can't be driven by those because God's called me to this. Thinking about validating myself. It's like, no, God's called me to this. Yes, there's other opportunities out there, but they could do nothing in terms of, making my life more significant compared to what God has invited me to. Fear of missing out, FOMO. Certainly there was things I had to say no to that I I didn't really want to miss. I didn't want to miss out. I love having, you know, fun times and, and, and great experiences, but it's like, no. When God made it clear what I had already said yes to, the FOMO began to fade away. And here's my challenge to you. What have you already said yes to? What have you said yes to in life? And my guess is, like all of us, you have some regrettable yeses. Sure, I do. We all do. But I bet you've got some great yeses as well. I bet you've got some things in your life that God has called you to. And that when you look at those, you will see that there is more purpose and there is more joy and more fulfillment and more significance than you could ever find anywhere else. And that when you see that clearly, it will begin to empower you to say no. You won't need to say yes because you won't be pursuing other people's perceptions of you or significance, or you won't let FOMO kind of drive your decision-making. You'll be able to follow step two, 
and advice for your hurry life. And you'll be able to begin to say no. You can resist the urge to overcommit. Resist the urge to, to cut out margin in your life and resist the temptation to fill your calendar to the brim with thing after thing after thing. This is a massive tool in our defense against hurry. Say no. Now, you gotta keep in mind that it's not just people. It's not just people that we need to say no to. There are countless other things in our lives that are vying for our attention and every one of them is a request. And when we turn our attention to those things, we are essentially saying yes. Did you know that the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day? That may sound impossible, but you can look it up. You Google it today, you will see it. That's how many times we touch our phones a day. If you count every little strike of the pin pad and you know, every time we pick it out of our pocket and, and it's not all bad, right? I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, we love the convenience, right? We don't wanna go back to 1950, do we? No, we do not. Collectively, we would all say, no, we do not. You know, we love it. But if every one of those is a yes, if every one of those is something that essentially we are taking on, in our world, what would it look like to reduce that number? What if we could cut it in half? What what would that do to our condition, our minds and our souls? So whether human or device, whether Apple or Android, we're all gonna start to say no. I wanna give you just a, a few practical steps on how to do this, okay? How to say no, the first one here, Make a, make a yes list. Spend a little bit of time thinking about what you've already said yes to that you would say, this is not a regrettable yes. This is a, this is a God-directed, God-called yes on my life. This is the most important thing for me right now. What is worth your yes in this season of life? You don't have to think about the next five years or 10 years. Just think about the next couple months. What's worth your yes? What are the most important things in your life? And if, if it's not worth your yes in this season of life, then say no. Say no, make a yes list. Second one, turn off your phone. Did you know you could do this? <laughs> There's actually ways to do it. I'm not gonna go through the whole process. I don't know what type of phone you have, but you can Google it. And then once you figure that out, I want you to do it. And as we think about the things last week, one place where this, is, this will help is we don't get in the long line just so we can do more on our phones, right? Anybody guilty of that this week? Uh, we don't drive the speed limit so that we can text and email as we drive, okay? That's not the purpose of driving the speed limit. So we, we, we want to find times where we can shut our phone down. If every, one of, if every notification Every time we reach for our phones, essentially a yes, find times to turn it off, leave it in a drawer. Start with five minutes. If this seems impossible to you, just five minutes and then build up, get to an hour. I know this is really crazy, but try a half a day or a whole day at some point. Turn off your phone at some point. And lastly, resist the temptation to explain. Here's what I mean by this. This, this is the beauty the beauty of the unexplained no. Sometimes in life, we get an invitation, we get a request, and we don't, we, we don't just decline the invitation. We also give them several paragraphs or maybe even a short novel about why we can't do this thing. You know what I'm talking about? Um, 
when we do that, it's not very healthy, right? Like we, we're, we're trying to uh, assuage the other person's disappointment in us when we do that. Well, we, you know, we can't really make it because of, uh, you know, and explain, explain, explain. And here's the deal. We're going to disappoint people. That's going to happen. They, they, they are inviting us to the thing because they want us to be a part of the thing. So any no, no matter how justified, it's still going to be a little bit disappointing for, for them. That's okay. They can deal with that. They can work through it. But, but here's how the, the unexplained no works. When you get an invitation or a request, you, you respond with no. That was supposed to be funny. Um, not, not, I don't think we can make it. Let me double check and I'll get back to you in a couple of days. Like, you know, in your mind, there's just no way we're doing this, but it's like, oh, let me check. Let me double check. I'll get back to you, you know? Or we say, you know, I'm sorry, but we've got X and we've got Y and we've got Z and, or I'd, I'd love to, but explanation, explanation, explanation. We just say no. Now, now I realize that we have friends and family, right? We're not gonna just reply to a text message no when they invite us to something. We're gonna put a little bit more to it. So I wanna give you a few examples of an unexplained no. You can simply say, unfortunately, I'm unable to, period. You stop talking after that. You don't have to say anything else. Here's another one. I cannot be there. Sorry to miss, period. And, and just a side note here, don't say sorry to miss if you're not really sorry to miss, okay? If you're glad to miss, if you're like, oh goodness, thank goodness we don't have to go to that thing. Don't write that in there. You can write something else, okay? Maybe you can write this next one. Uh, I'm, I'm unavailable that day. Thanks for the invite. Period. Even if you don't want to go to the event, we still can be grateful that the person thought of us and grateful that we have people in our lives that invite us to things, right? So this is genuine, this is honest, and this is also an unexplained no. You're not giving them step one, step two, well, Saturday, and then we've got to drop Tommy off at this, and then we got to be at this later on, and then, oh yeah, by the way, in three weeks, I've got this thing, so I'm having to prepare some of that for, you know, I got to prepare food, you know, for this gathering three weeks from now, and gosh, I re- we really would love to be there, and if we were there, it would probably be a great time, and, you know, and then we could, you know, talk about it afterwards, and, you know, it'd be this great experience that we all have together, and I just, you know, and just on and on and on, right? It's just, sorry, can't be there. Hope it's a great time. The beauty of the unexplained no. So again, here's, here's our list. Make a yes list. Figure out your why, your purpose, your mission, what God's calling, to you, calling you to in these days. Turn off your phone and resist the temptation to explain. Leverage the beauty of the unexplained no. This list right here will help us as we try to keep yes from flying out of our mouth over and over again. And we'll be able to resist the hurry that often comes in our lives when we get overloaded and when we get stretched thin. And it'll create room for us to connect with our heavenly father. Because again, when hurry enters the picture, it often squeezes God out of our lives. So vice number one, slow down. Say no. And see you next week for part three of advice for the hurried life. Let's pray together. Father, again, um, as we said last week, we're just grateful that you're not in a rush with us, that you're patient with us. Um, with our shortcomings and the, the places in life where we're still figuring things out, um, 
you don't try to fast forward our development. You're just with us. And I pray that we would see that and we would embody that in our lives. I pray today, God, that you would make it really, really clear what you've called us to. Even for the person here today who's not a Christian, not sure what they believe about faith, would you make it clear to them? And would we see what, um, what we've already said yes to, God, that has tremendous, tremendous purpose. And may it empower us um, to say no when we need to. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for being here today. You're dismissed. We will see you next Sunday as we wrap up part three.